Welcome to the Unqualified and Unafraid podcast. My name is Jess and I'm a film student and self-proclaimed creative and media enthusiast here to talk about things I'm not qualified to talk about. In our first episode ever, I'm joined with local Adelaide Hills musician and aspiring educator, Laura Boss. And what a pleasure it is to have her help kick off the podcast. She is one of my oldest and dearest friends and has been in my life for over 14 years. She is one of the most admirable people I know due to her strength, talent and graciousness. Whenever I visit the Boss household, I'm always amazed at the talent and achievements of Alora and her three younger siblings. Alora and her 14-year-old sister, Caitlin, are a musical duo and in 2019 took home first place at the Lower Lake Stockman's Challenge. Performing gigs all over the Adelaide Hills region, Alora has certainly levelled up from the so-called band her and I created when we were seven titled Cold Fire. Alora, thanks for joining us, and you're not just a guest today, but you're also going to be a bit of a regular co-host on the podcast. I am, and thank you for hosting me or having me on this first episode. So, could you please start off by telling us a bit about your musical background, because I know that whenever I would go to your house when we were younger, your dad would always have the guitar out, there's always be jam sessions going on. Yeah, so um, ever since I was young, music has always been a part, a big part of our life, particularly my dad's. So I always remember him, um, you know, just playing some classic Neil Young and some Pearl Jam. He'd always sing to me as a child, like to try and get me to sleep. And it was never like, rock and bye, baby. It was like <laughs> Neil Young and Pearl Jam yeah, just like to get me to sleep. Music. Like actual music. <laughs> so like, I grew up thinking Neil Young was a lullaby song. <laughs> um, and when I was sort of seven-ish he was in like a rock band and from then I've always been exposed to music he's been trying to get me to learn guitar for years so really realistically I should be better than I am but oh no <laughs> I remember when you were like eight and you would talk about Iron Maiden yeah and I'd be like what is this <laughs> <laughs> yeah well my mum was always a big heavy metal fan as well so they both had very diverse music tastes that were very retro and not quite so on trend. So my exposure to music was never quite on trend as well. Sort of made me a little bit of a musical outcast at school (laughs) when I was like, dudes, you want to listen to this music? We were all listening to Taylor Swift and you were like, no. (laughs) Listen, get me some Iron Maiden. (laughs) Um, So do you think that this like musical background makes your connection to music stronger? Definitely. I feel it's more, it's not just um, me telling my story through my music, but it's telling um, like a lot of other people's stories. And um, because of my musical background, I've always felt music is a way to connect with family and friends and, well, I guess pass on stories. It's a very sort of spiritual family connection that I feel when I play music and it's not just for my own enjoyment and I can feel like, I feel sort of my family's, like, tight-knitness. Like, yeah. yeah, like the energy um, of my childhood and youth because it was always such a special thing to me to have, like, um, uncles and um, family friends come over and jam and then I'm I'm jamming and I'm playing and yeah. I feel like the youth comes through. It's all just passed on and everything. Yeah. So, like, at what age did you start getting into it or was it just, like, The day you came out of the womb, you were just musical. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was always a bit of a singer, as Jess knows. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, yeah, so I was always trying to form bands with Katie and sing with Dad and form bands with Jess, which did go pretty far. Like, I don't think Jess (laughs) quite... Pretty far in the living room. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think Jess quite gave us the credit. We had... We wrote three, 
we wrote three really good songs and there was probably absolute about bangers, absolute bangers absolute bangers <laughs> and there was probably quite a few others in the works and we even filmed a we filmed a video a video a music star. video on video star <laughs> Like to one of our songs, which had like that full backing track and that everything. That was the start of my video making career. <laughs> <laughs> See, we both influenced each other. Yeah, definitely. But I guess in like a small community, I never really felt like I wanted to take it any further than just out of my living room. Um, I started learning guitar properly, probably about 13 or 14. And then I did do one, one gig at a market. Yeah. I did one song. And I think that I remember you mentioned to me the other day about how you had the opportunity to perform at one of the like cafes on Kangaroo Island, which is where we both grew up. But you said that you chose not to or you chose not to tell anyone about it because mm. um, you were worried that people in the small community would. Oh, yes. Yeah. I remember what's saying that now. Yes. Um, where I worked at Wanderer's Rest in American River. Great place. Um, so my dad was also like, he played a lot of gigs there with his, um, cause he was really good friends and musical friends with the owner. And I worked part time there as a waitress and I did, um, occasionally when I would knock off, I'd go and play a couple of songs with dad and I played, uh, not very many, probably only two or three at that point in time, but I never really told anybody because I didn't want them to come and see that I was <laughs> talented. <laughs> <laughs> But so would you say that moving um, to the Adelaide Hills and away from Kangaroo Island has kind of given you a bit of like musical liberation? Definitely. I'm not sure why, but I feel like I want to prove myself more here. I'm not really sure why, but I feel more comfortable performing in front of so many people here and showing my abilities here rather than on the island. Where people like already think that they know you. Like, yeah. yeah. And I feel like I'm much more open to judgment and the response on KI is always, oh, I didn't know you could sing. You're just like your dad. Where as much as that's a, oh, like a nice yeah. part of my life, I want to be my own person yeah. and sing my own music. That's a really good point. Like I'm so lucky that I have been exposed to him and his music throughout my life, but I want to develop my own sort of name for myself and yeah, not just ride off just the fame of like, my father. Yeah, yeah. So you're, you and your sister, Caitlin, um, you often perform together. You have um, social media pages, Ellie Katie Music. Um, so when did you guys, like, make the decision to form a duo? Um, I think it was probably a couple of years ago. Caitlin was... Um, she was she got the lead role in a like a musical that like the South Australia Festival Theatre was putting on oh, and wow. she got yeah it was a oh, really wow. great experience for her and she was 11 so yeah um it was amazing and it was the first year we moved up from Kangaroo Island and from there she learned a lot of really great um singing and musical abilities so she learned how to sing harmonies how to um really develop her vocal range a lot more yeah and it was sort of at that time where we were getting very similar interest in music and I was performing a lot more at my school. Yeah. And I don't exactly remember how it came about, but we just sort of started singing together and from there it developed into, like, we became more known together than apart. Yeah, okay. Like, how would you describe the genre that you guys mostly sing at gigs? I would say it's like a quiet sort of acoustic folk pop. Yeah, okay, yeah. Or yeah. like indie like an indie yeah. folk. 
because whenever I see you guys sing like on the videos and stuff I always get this really like haunting I feel like it's a very haunting like presence like both of your voices together I don't know why but it's Thank like you. it's I think really we do beautiful. aspire for that um we um, try and use a lot of um, clashing notes and harmonies and stuff yeah. that do sort of create like a goosebumps effect. Yeah, definitely achieves it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so what's it like getting to play alongside your sister and also like your partner, Sam, you guys often perform together, um, your dad, like what's it like getting to experience these like gigs, but with your family up there with you? Um. It's amazing, but also it's really challenging, particularly working with Caitlin. <laughs> um, like, obviously, you have, like, your sibling rivalries and my, like, actual, my, my vocal cords aren't as good. Like, I actually have, I have sort Restri- of, yeah, restricted. And I have a condition that, like, does, that restricts the vocal ability that I have. Oh, really? Yeah. So I overwork my voice box when I talk. Oh. And so it makes me prone to catching laryngitis oh. and tonsillitis and so many other things that really um, are a big detriment to my health and my throat. Mm, that's such a curse that you've been gifted yeah. with that, but also yeah. talent. So when I moved over here and I got it looked at, what the doctor actually said, like, you will probably never sing again. But then I went and auditioned for a musical and got the lead <laughs> role. So, well, I... I guess I still am here singing, but it's tricky in that Caitlin doesn't necessarily understand my how tricky it is for me to hit certain notes and do yeah, certain things, so which like comes so easily to her. Yeah, so there like might be a bit of frustration. Yeah, so it's way. frustration to her, and she is so talented, and she's basically got like perfect pitch and perfect <laughs> hearing. So she's like, "You're a bit off there," and I'm like, "Yes, I know. I'm trying. I'm trying." <laughs> and so it's. It's amazing to be able to experience this and I feel it's brought us closer but it's also very challenging in the way that we can we there's a lot of animosity and you have to go on stage and act like there's not. Yeah, you have to really work together and ignore all that stuff. Yeah, and stuff. especially like as um as gigs and performances approach there's stress, there's anxiety, there's more tension and you just want to walk away and scream at them but you really have to come back and yeah. practice and rehearse. Yeah. Back to like your genre together um do you guys like kind of take that folk kind of inspiration and put it into like the way that you dress for gigs the way that you promote yourself like what are the kind of strategies that you use to like build a brand for yourself well definitely I put a lot of um me specifically I put a lot of my genre into the way that I dress and the sort of my use of language and my social media brand so a lot of our photos that we post up on our Instagram they're very much sort of um in like a more naturalistic background yeah the flows the clothes we wear they're a little bit darker and yeah. looser a bit more flowy. A bit like bohemian yeah, yeah bohemian gypsy kind of looking yeah um depending what we're playing as well so like when we did play at the um stockman's challenge it was a horse festival and it was like a western kind of theme so okay. i think we did dress a little bit more to like a cowboy kind of look yeah So we tailor for our audience, but also for our genre as well. Are there any like singers or artists who you are really inspired by? Uh, Definitely for me, it's First Aid Kit. And it has been like forever, like probably 90% of the songs that I will bring to Katie and say we should learn are First Aid Kit songs. So they're a Swedish sister duo like us. They play similar instruments that we do. And um, just their whole sort of like family vibe and the way they've grown up exposed to music is all very similar to us. So I feel as if 
um, we relate to them a lot more. We play their music well because we can put the same sort of energy and connection into their music and I definitely feel inspired by them. I think Katie um, is feeling a bit more of a modern influence okay. in that um, I think Sia she's pretty inspired oh, by. Yeah. some A lot of piano players she loves. I'm particularly loving Florence and the Machine at the moment. Oh, yes. But, and I wish I had her vocal talents. I was just going to say, like, I reckon people who like Florence and the Machine, Kate Miller-Hardke, mm. um, would like you and Caitlin. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so that's – I'm definitely inspired by a lot of those, like, um, female folky singers, um, Fleet Foxes I'm really into at the moment and which they're sort of more folky acoustic. Katie, um, I think Five Seconds of Summer she's really loving oh, at the wow. moment. <laughs> so it's a little, um, it's interesting at the moment our music tastes are clashing a little bit but we're trying to work it all in. Yeah, because you're both at such different stages as well mm. in like finding what you like. And yeah, everything. but in, we're working through in that like we're doing a lot of Five Seconds of Summer songs acoustically and it's wow, great. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, we're learning quite a lot of them at the moment and it's um, it's also good for our audience because um, a lot of our songs aren't very well known, which to a degree is really good. But when you go out, um, like from an audience point of view, you want to hear songs that you yeah, know. Yeah, you want to sing along and everything. Yeah, and you want to be like, oh, I know this song. Da, da, da. Wow, they did that so good. Yeah, yeah. So Caitlin, Caitlin is really good in that respect as she's bringing a lot of more of the modern music to the table. Um, I just wanted to talk about social media for a bit. So has social media helped you to get exposure or get any gigs? Uh, definitely. Actually, quite um, back in December, we um, there was a some kind of Strathalbyn historical event. Um, we were commemorating 100 years um, creation of the Children's Bridge in Strathalbyn. And okay. um, our school band was asked to perform and our school band pulled out. I was given the contact details for the man who was organising it. And I said, hey, we'd love to perform at this thing and he said oh we already have another performer all good and then he checked out our Facebook and he said actually oh (laughs) we really want you guys to perform like we've seen it I've taken it to the committee we're all like in love with you guys can you please like perform at this gig and it was really an amazing opportunity and in that respect it was so helpful to have like a Facebook and an Instagram page that showcased some of what we could do. It's a portfolio. Yeah. That's really cool. That it was happened. very cool. Like, how do you filter like what goes online and like what do, what do you guys do to kind of like brand yourself online? Well, our Facebook page I feel is a lot more professional and it's um, clips of our gigs, photos of where we've been. If we've got a folder of photos of us performing and start playing, we'll put some of those up. And I find our Instagram is probably more for people to connect with us as people yeah. rather than um, our music. So it's a bit of both. So it's like if we're mucking around in the lounge room playing, I'll put up videos of that, um, yeah. like stories of that. A bit more like candid looks. Yeah, into- yeah. whereas like um, our Facebook is more of a professional thing because I find businesses and people who want to um, search for musicians will go to Facebook rather than Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I find like our fan base if we have one can connect with (laughs) us as it's Jess (laughs) can connect with us as people and see how we work through our music style on Instagram cool so how do you usually find gigs like is it through social media is it through your dad because I know that he probably has a lot Um, of contacts originally it was through dad like a lot of the initial gigs that we played 
it was like sort of riding off him. So he would play a set and then we would play a set. Oh, yeah. Um, we have recently been on a bit of a hiatus, but um, it was a lot of scouting. So we would play at school events and people there would find us. So we actually got a wedding gig through a school performance. So wow. one of the teachers and his wife came to watch, or fiancé at that time, and they saw us performing and they were so, like, amazed that they really – that they asked us to play at their wedding and, like, they were serious. Aww. Like, so we played at their wedding and that was with Sam as well as it broadened a lot of our um, repertoire. Yeah. And, yeah, it was really – it was a really amazing experience to be to be with them on their very special day and they yeah. scouted us through performances. Um, but, again, yeah, so I've been contacting a lot of people saying, hey, would you like us to – Here's our um, yeah. portfolio. And, this is what we can do. And how do, like, because I don't actually know much about, like, the, the music industry, I guess, in that, like, I don't know how do you work out whether something is a paid gig. Like, do you prefer exposure over pay at this point? Or, like, how, how do you work all that out? Um, it's quite a tricky subject for me because I feel awkward asking people to pay me yeah so that yeah yeah I, I feel that with my video it's like I, I feel like I'll say I'll organize to be paid but then it's like I get all my confidence goes down and I'm like actually I'll just do I'll it I'll just like, do it yeah. for free it depends so charity events we've decided we worked out we'll do for free and just for free food basically yeah, yeah. and any sort of private gigs pubs and stuff we are gonna be charging i think we worked out between 25 between 25 and 50 an hour depending on whether we needed to bring our own equipment if sam was going to help out yeah and like and anywhere up, upwards of a little bit more than that so it is quite and depending on where it is as well because it can be quite a trek because it, it's yeah. so like with with creative um kind of jobs it's so complicated because some people some people just kind of expect that, like, um, it's, it's a good opportunity for you. Like, yeah. they're giving you an opportunity, but sometimes, like, that might not actually be the case for you. Like, you might not mm. see it as that. So it's like, yeah, you know, the lines are kind of blurry. I it think, is. Sometimes. It's tricky. And especially because, like, I need to get days off work. So I yeah, lose money from that. Money. Yeah. And then we have to pay petrol. If we have to bring our own equipment, it's a lot of packing up sometimes we have to go buy new equipment because our mics don't work or yeah. our leads have stopped working so it can be quite expensive and we lose a lot of time like Caitlin has to um sometimes miss netball trainings netball yeah. games because of where we need to go what we need to rehearse she misses school sometimes like it is quite a full-on thing for us and like payment sometimes is like appreciate appreciated <laughs> yeah. and but it's awkward to ask for it when I feel as if we're so young and yeah whoever is getting you in maybe it's like well you can not pay me and you can sing like yeah. they're paying you for a service you know like something yeah. that they're not able to do but mm -hmm. yeah thank you for reassuring me, but, <laughs> yeah and I do like being paid it's just an awkward thing to ask for especially when people don't bring up how much is your rate and, like, mm. if I have to bring up, if I have to say, okay, that's great that you want us to come. We are this much an hour, um, depending on this. It's awkward to say that. So if you're thinking of hiring me, um, <laughs> when you hire me, sir, ask how much my rate is so I don't have to, like, tell you <laughs> because it's really uncomfortable to have to do that. 
the struggle of an artist. Yeah. <laughs> because it's something I love, but it's also really, like, time-consuming. and Yeah. And, like, I think that so many people, like, so many creative people just have a habit of ripping themselves off because oh, they won't ask absolutely. and they won't, like, see the value in what they're doing. So um, I know that last year you went through some difficult times, particularly with your health. Um, and did music offer an escape from that? Um Yes, so with my health, it was a very difficult time, um, particularly because it was year 12, so it was very stressful, mm. I was away from school a lot, and definitely music offered quite a bit, quite an outlet for me, especially um, like writing. I haven't, we haven't actually worked on doing any of the songs I've written, but I did write quite a few really sort of personal songs. Wow, I can't wait to hear them. <laughs> yeah, I'll show them to you, actually. Oh, cool. Um, I don't have them on me now. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so it was a bit of an outlet for, like, the pain I was experiencing and the stress and um, the fact that nobody was really understanding and, like, a lot of people weren't very supportive of what I was going through. Yeah. As it's, like, it's not a very well-known issue. Yeah, and could, could you maybe, like run us through a bit of your health journey, like yeah. what you were going through. So, um, basically I'm seven, I'm 18, I'm 18 now. <laughs> I'm 18 17. now. And, um, since I've been, since I was 10, I've been experiencing really bad, um, sort of pelvic, um, muscle pain, um, to the point where I have like, I miss days off school. I miss day, like I had to stop nipple training. Mm. And, um, when I was 14, I went to the hospital for it. And they drew a correlation with something called endometriosis, which is um, it's where the lining of the uterus can grow outside of the uterus on various organs and cause them to not work properly. Okay. Um, it, so it's caused by it can be caused by internal bleeding. It's a it's primarily a genetic thing. Okay. Yeah, and because it's um, got quite a deep history in my family, mm -hmm. they were particularly concerned about that. However, at 14, I wasn't really taken seriously. Um, I had a pregnancy test, and when it obviously came back negative because I was 14, they, did they, they sent really me home. Do that? Yeah. It, and wow, I'm stunned by yeah, that. Yeah, so this doctor, when I, I um, came into the hospital at 2 o'clock in the morning screaming, and he was dead set that it was I was pregnant. At 14. Oh, my God. So when the pregnancy test came back negative, obviously, obviously. <laughs> um, he sent me home without too much, like, he's like, oh, I don't know what is wrong with you now, so you can just, you know, take Panadol, go to bed. Oh, my God. Yeah, so I, um, I think we have tracked that incident down to an ovarian cyst that had burst. Okay. Um, which isn't, um, it's painful, but it's not life-threatening. Yeah. Um. And so from 14, I, it just sort of continued from there. It snowballed. I missed more days of school. I had to stop netball when I moved from Kangaroo Island. And I went to see a doctor on the mainland who was also male. Mm -hmm. And I was put on the pill at 14, nearly 15. Which, wow. um, considering the formula of the pill hasn't changed since 1960, mm -hmm. it's it was a very stressful and hard decision for me and my mum to make that because I was yeah. so young. I mean, like, and the pill is like, there's a lot of... Um, a lot of a lot negative of side, side effects. effects. Yeah. Um, some of which I experienced. 
Yeah. There's actually, like, so many stories of this happening to Mm. women, like, going into doctors with problems relating to, um, like, that, like, your uterus region. Yeah, like, like reproductive issues. Yeah, reproductive issues. And doctors just being like, well, I don't know what it is, so... Go to bed. I'm not dealing with it. You're pregnant. Like <laughs> Yeah, so it's a really common thing for particularly male doctors to not understand and not refer you to somebody who will understand. Mm. Um, it's quite an ignorant thing and it's very frustrating. Um, like rather than saying, rather than admitting that they don't understand and you should see somebody else, they say nothing is wrong with you, you're overreacting, go to bed. Yeah, it's just a bad cramp. That's kind of the one that yeah, like, I think like, a lot of people hear, it's just a bad cramp. Yeah, like you just you just experience really bad periods. Like, no, yeah. I don't, and I know. Yeah. That, like, I know what is wrong when something is wrong, and I know when it's just a bad period. Yeah, yeah, for sure. How do you think this can, like, did this have any, like, negative effects on you as a patient to be told that, like, your pain was not? Hugely. It was, like, massively degrading and upsetting. And um, I was given a lot of false false hope, like, um, you could have this and then, no, you don't have this. Um, We still don't know what's wrong with you. So it's been going on for, like, eight years now when nobody knows what's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. It's very frustrating, very upsetting, and it's like, am I ever going to get fixed? And up until recently, it was, is anyone ever going to take me seriously? Yeah. Like, I think that is just one of the most degrading things. Like, if you're going through something and nobody is taking you seriously, it's like you just begin to think that you, like, deserve the pain. Or yeah, it was such a, it was such a, like, a mind trip. Like, is there actually something wrong with me? Yeah. Like, I started to second-guess myself, yeah, which like, is never healthy. Am I being, like, what's it called, psychosomatic? Yeah, or... and, like, am I just overreacting? Like, yeah. is it really not that bad? Yeah. But, like, it is that bad Mm. and it just took forever to get somebody to actually take me seriously. Yeah. Um, Now, with this in mind, when people go around being like, there's no place for feminism here anymore, it's like (sighs) this is just such a prime example of how sexism is just inbuilt into the system. Definitely. It is so frustrating. It's like um, I actually did, like... Um, the relevance of feminism in modern society for my research project. And a lot of people were like, oh, but we don't need that because we have equality. And it's true. We have come so far from where we originally were, but we're not equal. No. Like, this is such an animal farm thing. uh, Yeah, well, like, (laughs) (laughs) the fact that women can still go to the doctors and be turned away because the male doctor doesn't understand, like, it's just... It's ridiculous that people still don't see that this is a form of inequality. And it's ridiculous that rather than trying to find an answer, they put a 14-year-old girl on the pill. Yeah. That and that the because pill... we should just trust the pill, like, yeah, it's like I don't know. Like, I feel like as girls we're kind of expected like as soon as we become sexually active um, as soon as like yeah. any, we ha- experience any bad periods, just just go on the pill, and it's like, well, maybe I don't want all these like horrible side effects that mm. come with it. Like, really, it's not some. It wasn't something that I wanted to do. It was some. It was messing with my body. Yeah, and it was going to be a full time thing. Yeah, and frankly, the pill is archaic. Yeah, like there's so many horrible side effects, and that can really affect you later down the track. Like 
it increases your risk of blood clots, which like wow. can cause strokes. Mm. Like that was one. It's a serious side effect. Yeah. Happens affects like one in twelve thousand women. But I was that one in twelve thousand. So like that is oh, really wow. really stressful to know that I have. Um, like a higher risk of it getting a stroke as well as all of these other reproductive issues that I still don't know about. So yeah. like my stroke risk and my heart issue risk has been like like massively increased while I'm trying to um, like suppress the, um, the pain of other issues. Yeah. It's just... So frustrating. We could, we could rant about this. I for could so rant long. about this forever, but <laughs> we won't. Um, you had a surgery as well I did. last year. Uh, how was that? Like, do you feel like? How do you feel emotionally after the surgery? It was really, really, really hard to, like, post surgery depression is a real thing. Yeah. And when I spoke to the doctor about this, who up until this moment had been really great for me. Um, she was very much like washed her hands of me. Yeah. It was like we didn't find what we were looking for, so you're not my problem anymore. Yeah. And um, I was saying I'm experiencing a lot of like um, like anemia side effects. Oh, okay. and because yeah. my pill was an iron supplement, mm. and like anemia is very ingrained in my family. Yeah. So and I said like, should I look at getting like an anemic test because? the pill I was on was an iron supplement and now I'm not on the pill anymore. Yeah, and now I'm experiencing these symptoms. Yeah, and she said, nah, you'll be fine. And I was like, okay, but if I, like, pass out because of anemia, this isn't going to be great. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and so it was very... It was very hard and I felt really bad about myself because, um, like, when you have surgery of that kind, they, like, blow your stomach up like a balloon. So for, like, weeks afterwards, I was so... Fat. Oh. And it made me feel so shitty about mm. myself. Like, obviously, I knew that it was just like gas. Yeah. But, like, later as, a, later as I got like a bit better, it was like, am I actually just fat now or is mm. there still a bit of gas left? Yeah. And it seems like a petty thing, but it was very but it like. It really affect like your yeah. body image if something. Drastic mm. And especially changes. because I'd had the Mirena put in, which um, some people have experienced weight gain on that. Yeah. So I was panicking, like, is this the side effects of the Mirena or has the yeah. GATS just not left my body? Yeah. And it was hard because um, because of the surgery, um, I was, like, immobile for a while and I was, like, getting depressed. Like, I had to sleep on my back. I couldn't sleep on my side. I couldn't oh. roll over. Sam had to like pick me up to get me out of bed because I was in that much pain from the surgery I just could I was totally I was totally invalid like I couldn't go to the toilet on my own in that respect it was bad for my mental health and I missed work I missed Mm. school and I was in year 12 your life just got put on pause basically it did and at that point in time I was in I was in a busy stage of my life like I just finished my year 12 like drama exam I had so much to do for that like everything was just happening at this t- at that time, and I just had to like walk away from it. Yeah, and it was so stressful. In saying all this, are you glad that twenty nineteen is over? Certainly, <laughs> I am very ready to start a whole new chapter yeah. of my life with further study and everything. So let's talk about twenty twenty. Um, it's a new year. You're at university. Um, And you're studying a Bachelor of Education and a Bachelor of Arts majoring in English and History? Yes, I am. It's really exciting. Yep. Um, Have you been to any of your lectures yet? Yes, this is my third day 
And yeah, we're coming to you live from, well, not live, but we're coming to you from Flinders University. From Flinders <laughs> University. I'm really enjoying it. This has been my dream since I was very young. And since year eight, I've wanted to go to Flinders so bad. So to actually <laughs> been like living my English and history dream at Flinders, it is so exciting and refreshing. And yeah. I'm I'm living my best life. Aside from the fact I have like an hour and a half of travel every morning, but like aside from that, I'm really loving it. So what attracted you um, to become a teacher? Um, It was a combination of like some really great teachers and some really, really bad teachers. Oh, okay. And it was, my grandma has also been a teacher. And so as a young child, I spent like a little while like sort of milling about with her, marking some work and stuff. So I've been exposed to um, teaching for a long time. Like I used to play schools and I used to teach like my younger siblings things. Like I taught Katie her 10 times tables when she was like three. Yeah. Um, I've just always loved the feeling of passing on knowledge to people yeah it's such like something that I am really passionate about yeah. and I get to make other people equally as passionate yeah. about it yeah I actually think that like teaching is one of the most um important professions in society because mm. it I mean you grow the next generation I'm literally shaping tomorrow's youth <laughs> yeah it's amazing like I'm so excited for you so with your music did you did you ever consider studying music at uni um There was a little while where I was considering it and I suppose I was exposed to a a setting where music would be a career and I didn't love it. On flute though. Because you played the flute. Yeah, I played the flute for quite a long time. And so I was exposed to a setting where flute would be my profession and I didn't like it. Um, I'm still sort of pursuing musicianship on the side. Yeah, I'm like just a side not. Hustle. Yeah, a side hustle. <laughs> I'm just not studying it, and because I am so, I was so set on Flinders, and Flinders doesn't offer music. I think that was quite of a deciding factor to not study okay. it as well. Do you like for you? Is um music will it ever be associated with a job, or do you think it's always just gonna um be associated with something that you do for fun? Well, I mean, my childhood dream is to be, like, a rock star. So, like, (laughs) if the opportunity ever arises, I would leave my profession to obviously pursue that. But um, in my current adult brain, it's not really associated with a career. Okay. Right. So do you think um, this year your musical um, journey, um, your relationship with music will evolve and how do you think it will? I definitely think it will as I'm getting older and I have more free time like to a degree like in the last couple months we've been on a bit of a hiatus um recovering from quite an intense couple weeks of performing there was we did like something like four gigs in two weeks nice so we were very very stressed and very very hard pressed for music and we have been on a little bit of a hiatus but we're coming off it now And we are ready to totally, not transform, but I guess evolve in a better way and with a higher drive to perform more at pubs and around Adelaide. And I guess because I will be getting my licence this year, it makes me more um, able to get around around to further away places. If you were going to try and sell yourself to somebody who wanted a performer at an event, um, what would you say and like what kind of events do you most like performing it put me on the spot so um (laughs) am I selling myself to you or Um, what would I say like how would you describe like what you would be best fit so um I'd say like a pub 
like a relaxed kind of setting is background music. Yeah. Um, like a warm atmosphere. Mm-hmm. When you want like um like a ethereal but like Ooh. like a happy ethereal kind of vibe. atmosphere vibe. Yeah. Events like as in weddings. Yes. Pub gigs. Um. Birthday parties like um, garden parties. Yeah. So, yeah. Definitely garden parties. Yeah. Not like hardcore birthday yeah, parties, no. but for sure. <laughs> Garden parties. So I would say, like, kind of lunchtime to early afternoon, maybe even to late afternoon sort of atmosphere, like, time of day. Yeah. Like, we're not quite – we haven't quite got the rocky songs of, like, a night. Yes. More – yeah, more like a day performance. Yes. Um, So how can someone contact you? So our Facebook is Ellie and Katie Music, and our Instagram is um, Ellie and Katie Music as well with um, full stops between – each word. Yeah. So I would say contact through that and then from there we can move on to more. I can give you my phone number and I might email but I won't give that out now. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything else you'd like to put out into the world first? Um, basically just keep creating. Keep um, If you're passionate about something, always drive for it. Like go hard for it if you want it because chances are you'll get it and it'll be the greatest thing you've ever done in your life. And with doctors, don't let them tell you that there's not something wrong with you. <laughs> that is the best advice. Um, so don't forget to find Alora and her sister at ellie.katie.music on Instagram and Ellie and Katie Music on Facebook. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your mates. If you have anything you'd like to hear or share on the podcast, please message me via my Instagram, Twitter or email, which will be linked in the description. I look forward to bringing you more insightful conversations with creative people. So keep your eye out for the next episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me here. And I'm looking forward to having you on more as a co-host. Me too. Stay tuned, guys.